Good morning, everyone. Taking advantage of this opportunity we have to cultivate the path, path of awakening, Focusing today on a important principle, quality, that the Buddha emphasized again and again, which we have access to. We have this capacity within us. We just need to use it, turn to it. That's the quality of mindfulness. The word the Buddha used in Pali language is sati, which means to remember. I like this uh, word, especially the English translation because of its relationship to the word dismember, dislocated, to remember, reconnect, gather back together again. The dimensions of our being, which are actually already whole, but which we lose touch with when we get mesmerized, enchanted, confused by what's moving through the heart. Practice of mindfulness. Remembering to connect our experience to the ground, the unifying ground of awareness. In a moment of mindfulness, we're Connecting, for example, the body, which is the first important foundation of mindfulness, the first skillful, helpful way in which to train this present moment attentiveness. In being aware of the body, in a moment of mindfulness, the experience of body is connected consciously with inner listening, with awareness so that we know, ah, I'm sitting. You don't have to ask someone, hey, am I sitting or standing? Oh, thanks. It might be useful to get someone else's opinion, but it is someone else's opinion in a moment of mindfulness. What is that that allows us to recognize? It's a moment of being connected to the sensations, kinesthetic sensations of sitting, sensing the shaping, where the pressure is. Sitting. How do we know if we're leaning to the right or leaning to the left? How do we know if we're tense or if we're relaxed? Moment of mindfulness, awareness, vigilance, wakefulness. The Buddha made a lot of this quality 
It appears in so many of the significant lists where the Buddha helpfully puts into a map uh, kind of the qualities that, uh, that are beneficial. Here's the way he, he talks about mindfulness in the famous discourse teaching that he gave on the foundation of mindfulness. He said, this is the direct way. Sometimes it's translated as the one way. We quite like the phrases ekayana maga. Eka means one, maga, path, yana, way. One way, direct way. Or pathway back to the one. Pathway back to this unification. Remembering. This is the one way, ekayana maga. Oh, monks, he was talking to the monastic community, but he's talking to all of us. This is the one way, the direct way, the pathway back to the one for the purification of beings, for the passing beyond sorrow and lamentation, for the cessation of pain and distress, for the attainment of the supramundane path. Supramundane, that's lokutara, means that which transcends the world. not getting away from anything, but when we only know the surface, we don't know the lokuttara, that which is not coming and going, that which is fundamentally peaceful, radiant, unmoving. For the passing beyond sorrow and lamentation, for the cessation of pain and distress, this one way, this direct way for the attainment of the lokuttaramaga, the transcendent path, for the realization of nibbana. Nibbana, cooled. All the fires of greed, hatred, and delusion have been cooled, leaving truth. Namely, this one way is the four foundations of mindfulness. Mindfulness of a body, this body, which is part of all myriad forms. In our mindfulness practice, we're aware of this body. We're also aware of our relationship to others. Mindfulness of feeling aware, being sensitive to when there's pleasure and pain. The Buddha said this is important. It's not saying only pleasure, get rid of pain, but wanting us to be attentive to that. Deepen our capacity to bear pleasure and pain. Mindfulness of third foundation, uh, the mind, the heart, the, the states, Mindfulness of awareness, noticing when we're agitated or peaceful, desiring or averse, sluggish, doubting. Mindfulness of what's called dharmas. Mindfulness of reflecting on the nature of things. 
We'll, we'll go back into these as the retreat goes on, but first foundation, body, second, feeling, third, the states of mind, fourth, mindfulness of dharmas, mind objects. This first foundation is so important, especially when we get so enchanted and mesmerized, as we all do, by our concerns, our duties, our things we've got to solve. I only have eight days, one day shorter than normally, and I've got a lot to work out. There's my livelihood. There's saving the planet. There's, there's, I mean, who's laughing out there? This is grim. And then, so there's a, a lot of stuff that's going through, and we're not putting it down. But mindfulness of the body is an anchor because its resonance is slower. The thinking mind fires into the future, figures out a billion possibilities of what could go wrong, yeah, what could go right, fires back into the past, gets so tangled. What's happening now? The body's sitting, breathing in, breathing out. This first foundation of training ourselves to remember, connect with. These are the these two dimensions of our being, which sound separate, but they're actually connected, consciously connecting body to awareness. Sitting, standing, walking, having tea, making our way to our room, realizing we forgot our shoes, making our way back, realizing we forgot mindfulness. Just the body, the body. All these foundations, the Buddha said, are accompanied by effort. So there's work here. Remember, important, as I emphasized last night, is not work to get somewhere else. The effort we're making, and this is helpful, the effort to be here, Word the Buddha used for this effort is atapi. It's it's not just any old effort. It's a dedication. Sometimes translated as ardor, commitment, a sustained effort, a repeating effort to return, to return, to return patiently. Not a bullying effort. Persistent. All the, this mindfulness is accompanied by that. And accompanied by the word the Buddha used is sampajanya, which means clear comprehension. Means our mindfulness is not just shut out from everything else. The example one we use is when we're mindful of the body when we're driving, mindful of the hand touching the wheel, hand touching the wheel, hand touching the wheel, just ran through a red light. I'm mindful, hand touching the wheel on the wrong side of the road, but I'm mindful. There's a kind of mindfulness, but it doesn't have sampajanya, a, what's the word? A global, a wider reference, yet centered, but there's a sense of uh, clear comprehension of a relationship. So we could be you know, incredibly mindful at the bottom of the stairs, taking up the whole passageway, 
really mindful. Kitties are going to turn this around. This is mindful. Whoa. But we might have a whole backing up the retreat behind us. Which, yeah, I could practice with that. That's true. But we don't necessarily have sampajanya. So we're going to be encouraging a mindfulness that's not squashed. Open. And the Buddha also encouraged in our mindfulness these, these qualities. And it's accompanied by abandoning, what's sometimes translated as covetousness and distress with regard to the world. Because of these currents of all that each of us has, the things that are important, that we want to solve, our normal way of solving for many of us, just think it out, think it out, and we get so tangled. So this, this, what's being talked about here, this abandoning, means when we sit down and we want to figure that out and we want to figure it out and solve that. And these are important, but learning to set them aside for now. We'll, we'll come back. But until one has mindfulness and then what's going to be, what we're going to call, what the Buddha called samadhi, or not just one moment of mindfulness, when the mindfulness flows together and becomes more sustained, effortless, then it leads to a centeredness, a gatheredness, a plugged-inness, what's called samadhi. Sometimes translated as concentrated, but that has some problems with that word, but it means we're rooted. Rooted is good word because it also connects to this definition of mindfulness of uh, connecting the moments of our experience to this ground of awareness, rootedness. So when these different preoccupations start coming up, we can just say, not now. We can touch them. We don't have to get into a big battle. But learning to let them be and to train ourselves to notice, but how's the body now? How's the body now? Am I standing? Am I sitting? We can be lost in 30 minutes, an hour. What the heck? A day? A week? tangled in something and even forget where our body is until it's screaming because it's hungry or screaming because it's exhausted or because we haven't looked where we're going and we banged our head against something, which I do frequently. Just because I'm up here talking about it doesn't mean I've mastered it. I'm encouraging myself. We're all encouraging ourselves who sit up here just as as we're speaking and sharing, we're encouraging ourselves to continue this ongoing practice and to, to just to remember how, how the Buddha 
encouraged us that this is a pathway back to our nature, to our home territory. It leads to the ending of suffering. Why can the Buddha be so sure that it is the direct path, the one-way path? Well, when we recognize suffering comes from not seeing clearly, then any path that doesn't involve opening, connecting with how things actually are, how can it lead to freedom? This is a path where we're deepening our capacity to be realistic, as one teacher said. Starting with the learning to bring into consciousness experience of embodiment. It's an embodied path. And the samadhi, the meditative states that we'll be highlighting, that the Buddha encouraged, are not disembodied states. One can... People can do them, but those aren't the ones that the Buddha encouraged as being most helpful for liberating us. So one of the blessings of this practice is already, forget about solving all the problems, already when we get more able to be mindful and attentive to how it is now, learning to relax while we're doing that, already we're developing the skill of a pleasant abiding, a a pleasing way of being. We're already developing the skill of allowing our life to become more revealed in its actuality to us. So encouraging us to be patient, And to, we're going to be using qualities to help us. What the Buddha called vitaka vichara, which translated as a directed thought and a receptive thought. To help us be here. This, this, sometimes because our suffering, suffering is accompanied by just feeling hung, drawn, and quartered by our mind. We can feel tyrannized and attacked. Sometimes we wish we could just cut our head off and throw it out in the snow, dump it in the lake, bury it in a pit. And sometimes when we do notice the mind goes quiet, that's such a relief. We can, though, get the wrong idea that somehow the thinking mind is is an enemy. It's not the enemy. It's, a, it's, yes, when we're not really mindful of it, it, it tyrannizes us, but it becomes a really good servant. It becomes very helpful in the path. So an important part of our training. Is training thought. Rather than thinking all sorts of essays, and what tends to happen when we get to thinking, it turns into stories, and these become all this yearning and distress with regard to the world of politics and of family and of sickness and of 
how we're doing. It gets long stories. A directed thought is moderating thought. It's learning to, for the most part, shorten thought so that the thought is directing attention, remembering that one of the primary functions of thought when it's skillful is to direct the attention. When thought is infused with awareness and wisdom, it knows it can't capture things with itself. It directs the attention so that the heart itself can receive the complexity, the texture. No thought can capture truths. Yet all the time we, we get hypnotized by thought when thought says, Kitty Sorrow, you are useless. Oh, God, I'm useless. Kitty Sorrow, you've done it. You've cracked it. You're wonderful. <sighs> we get so elated with positive thoughts, dejected with negative ones, not realizing the limitation of thought. In the first training of thought, thought is being used just to direct us here. Back to this ground of listening. So notice what a thought like, how is it now? It's an invitation. The thought itself dissolves humbly and allows the heart then to receive how it is now. Ooh, I'm tired. Okay. Receive that resonance. That's the receptive aspect of thought. After the thought like, how is it now, directs us, here, then we don't really in English have a good word for it. What is it that allows us to feel out the texture of the head, shoulders, ooh, that deep fatigue maybe, or those, my goodness, since when did my shoulders get up around my ears? That's what the feeling out quality of thought does, the It's not really thought. It's the mind that's exploring, the awareness that's exploring, feeling out. These two go together. Vitaka, vichara. A thought that's usually short, directing the attention, and because we're working on this first significant foundation, this anchor, this very skillful anchor, that's important for our freeing us, this anchor of the body. These thoughts remind us of how is it now. Or a thought like, I'm sitting. And then that yin, that receptive quality that feels out. The yang, the directed, that's why it's called directed thought, points the attention. Oh, I'm standing. I'm turning. This is connected to noting. If it gets too loud, then we're mainly just filled with the thought. When it's good, it's a thought that just directs the attention and then lets that receptive part of the heart connect. The two work together, and that's what allows bonding, connecting, If we really want to get good at relationship, this is the core of relationship. 
why doesn't anybody love me? I'm loving the world. We might wish to have connection. Maybe we go through life uh, with a lot of yang wanting connection. Some of us might know the experience of someone saying, how are you? And then we're just getting ready to tell them, and then they're still going, and they're still going, and they're still going, and we, their how are you so pin, pins us against the wall. They're not even seeing us. Then at the end they say, wow, it's really been nice being with you. And they go off. There's yang there, but where's the receptive? The how are you, and then someone's color, the tone of voice, posture, the feeling. Can we, this is directing and then receiving. These two, we're going to really be kind and receive ourselves with atapi, with an effort an ardor, a commitment to keep returning with some pajanya. Just don't allow ourselves to be open, relaxed, mindful. How is it? These two important tools. We're going to be working with the sitting in our sitting practice with mindfulness of the breathing, the in and the out breath, which is a very skillful, helpful way to develop this foundation of mindfulness. And it leads to samadhi, a gathered, skillful state. In fact, it was the, we'll talk more about it, but the method the Buddha himself, our teacher, used on the night of his awakening. So a thought, even as we're sitting, with a question, how is it now? And letting the awareness, sampajanya, sense the room, the sounds, and then at the heart of that, the resonance of body. Just without judging, Just letting go of wanting this, not wanting that. Let it be. And just connect to the resonance, the pressure, our body touching the cushion, the chair, feeling tone in the body, moments of mindfully receiving that, noticing that the body is expanding and contracting, breathing in and breathing out. A thought can help us stay with that. All of us, I'm sure, have had the experience when we're doing something that requires real care. Any sorts of area, like threading a needle or having to balance on something, sometimes the mind will quietly just say, steady, steady. So the mind's reminding us. It's not getting in the way. It's a part of staying present. For example, with the breathing, a thought like, peacefully I breathe in. 
that quiet thought which then dissolves can condition, it can give rise to that receptive quality that just is present for the actual sensation of the in-breath. Quiet thought like peacefully I breathe out. Or even just the thought in. That's a directed thought that's not... It's a thought. It's using the cognitive capacity to remind us what we're doing in, out, in, out. In the first level of jhana, the first deep level of calm, vitaka vichara are present. So let's don't chuck them out too quick. Yes, there's a time when, when we're already present, you don't, you don't have to tell yourself in and out. When we get really plugged in, sometimes we're just here. So that can naturally fall away. But if we're too quick to assume thought is the enemy, we're not having, we've knocked out some of the tools which guide us into this grounded, rooted presence. You can find your own words to help one. The general invitation, the question's good for helping us, like, how is it now? It's an invitation that leads to connectedness. But while one's actually sitting and breathing, different phrases help. In Thailand, we came from a tradition, in our monastic tradition, where the name of the Buddha was used. Buddho, B-U-D-D-H-O, it's not just it's not that historical Buddha, you know, it's connected, but is this Buddha the one that's sitting here? This way awakened one, Buddha, as we breathe in, means awake, open, toe as we breathe out. So it's a word that reminds us, that connects us to to our trust, to the ground of listening, but as we breathe in, to as we breathe out. If you wish, you can explore this, this directing and then this receptive. The two work together. And, and relaxing, I'm really going to encourage you to just keep remembering we're not going somewhere else. So relaxing and really receiving and these first few days, sometimes what we receive is, is, is tired, is stressed. So be kind. And to remember that, oh, I've got this bad, I need to get to the good stuff. Remember, in a moment of believing this is the bad stuff, I've got to get to the good stuff, right there we're feeding samsara. Because if we believe, oh, this is these, these aches and pains, I've got to get beyond that, that's creating the sense of desert here. The good stuff's over there. That's what samsara means, endlessly on the treadmill wanting to get somewhere that we never get to. So let's don't judge 
even the difficult stuff is is important. We're we're allowing ourselves to become conscious. That's where it takes some patience. And where the sampajanya, the clear comprehension, sometimes will recognize, you know, if you're just too exhausted, sometimes one needs to mindfully rest. So just be aware of that. So giving ourselves permission that whatever one's doing, though, one can still keep returning, how is it now? What's happening with the body now? So today really encourages the sitting, being with the body, with the breathing, with each out-breath relaxing and letting go of this, trying to figure it all out. We'll come back to looking at issues, problems. But for right now, we're encouraging this capacity to return our experience to this ground of listening, ground of awareness. And we'll, we'll do this while we're sitting, while we're walking. While we're eating, a little question, how is it now? Sometimes eating... I, I used to find I'd get so lost in eating. I'd wake up and when I was a month, the bowl would be empty. And I'd think, who, who ate it? I'd be telling myself all this stuff and I wouldn't know what happened. It's easy to get lost. Rather than beating ourselves up, the moment of wakefulness that arises, that's a celebration. And how is it now? Let us return. Noticing the posture. We'll be interspersing sitting periods with walking periods. Or we'll be doing what the Buddha called chong, chongkama, which means walking to and fro. That this mindfulness practice is not limited to just one posture. There's different styles of practice. Some of you might have your own. But in our tradition, we were just encouraged to, to take a path of maybe 15, 20, 25 paces. Or maybe if you're in one inside, from side to side. Or if you're outside, you can choose a path using a tree as a marker or a stone or a bush or something noticeable. Standing one side, one end of the path, how is it now? 
moments of mindfulness, making that effort. Clear comprehension, just knowing there is standing. Connecting the body to this ground of listening. And this just mindfully walk. And adjust your pace. Some find that walking really slow helps one get present. That, that's fine if you wish or if you want to. Uh, sometimes if one's really tense, walking a little faster is helpful. Allowing that energy to circulate. Just adjusting. But rather than walking to get somewhere, we're walking to return here, here, here and now, here and now. Walking is very allowing our mindfulness to to gather in walking and our work period and eating is very, very useful because this is not just something that happens on a meditation retreat. We're learning to access this liberating quality in the ordinary. For the first few days, if you wish... If you don't want to, that's all right. All of this, we're offering all of this as a as skillful means so one can pick up what's helpful. But there's a Burmese from the great Burmese monk, Tong Saido, a Burmese technique called rotating the senses that can help us connect to this, what's called sampajanya, this global, clear, open, clear comprehension. So in our walking practice, as we start, I, if you wish, you can try just whispering the directed thought is hearing. That thought directs our attention to this bodily base because we hear because of our body, our ears. Just be open to the hearing, the sounds. Relax with them. Hearing as we're walking or as we're standing. And then feeling so that our mindfulness is including the experience right now of pleasure, pain, neutral. Just practicing, feeling it out, being with it, relaxing. Hearing, then feeling. This is making sure that we're connected, that our meditation is not just trying to shut things out. The third one is I've skipped one. Yeah, so first is seeing. Yeah, seeing is light, shape. Hearing. Feeling. And then the posture, walking or standing or turning. So there's just four. Might seem a bit clunky, and in time, if you're already present, it will fall away. But this is just to make sure that that there's this openness. Sometimes meditation, meditators get so into a refined state, it becomes very fragile, very threatened by the world, very cramped. It's not actually that helpful. It's not so durable. This, 
by having moments of seeing, like right now, seeing. A soft gaze, the form, the color. Letting that touch awareness, not getting, we don't have to chase anything down, just seeing. Hearing. It doesn't have to disturb us. The sounds are coming and going through this spacious attentiveness, this fullness of heart and mind. Feeling any pain and pleasure in terms of our mood or in terms of the body. That's present. That's okay. We're with it. In the posture, like right now, we're sitting in the walking meditation, seeing, hearing, feeling, walking, sitting, whatever we're doing. These are directed thoughts, short, moderate, that allow that vichara, that feeling out, that exploring quality that lets us connect. If that's helpful, you can use that in the walking meditation. If you start to already find yourself present, you might just allow that to subside and then just be with the feet touching. And you're open. So we all have permission not to have to sort out all our problems, not to figure it all out. We're not judging that things aren't important, but we're giving ourselves permission to cultivate this ekayana maga, this pathway back to the one, to our home territory, for the passing beyond sorrow and lamentation, for the cessation of pain and distress, for the realization of nibbana. So encourage ourselves. This is important work. So may, you, may we all enjoy this day of practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.